when we talk about embodiment, what does that actually mean when you really, really boil it down to what it really means is that your body always sends signals. We have very, very in-depth, strong bodily wisdom and that bodily wisdom constantly sends messages. So that's embodiment is essentially that you're able to hear the messages of your body. It's as simple as that. Hey everyone, it's Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Connection. My next guest is not only one of my most favorite teachers, but also amongst my favorite women in the spiritual and healing world and just all around world in general. I've loved Michaela Bohm since the moment I read her book called The Wild Woman's Way and have had the pleasure of attending her workshops and working with her. She is grounded not only in the deep ancient wisdom of Tantra and the spiritual sciences, but also in the clinical therapy world with over 30,000 hours of in-person counseling. Her work is accessible and practical. She teaches internationally as an expert in intimacy, relationship, and sexuality. A gifted speaker and counselor, her unique body of work centers around the intersection of intimacy and embodiment. She has a celebrity roster of clients, but you would never know it. She's never arrogant or boastful. Perhaps one of the things I love the most about Michaela is that she moves beyond the culture wars when it comes to discussing masculine and feminine energies and isn't afraid to tell it like it is. In this conversation, Michaela and I talk about the effects of COVID on every person, whether single, in a relationship, or with families, and the traumatic fallout from the past year, and how to handle trauma. We discuss how to build our body as a container for energy to handle adversity and life challenges, and of course, the importance of intuition and building the muscle for women to engage with our feminine energy. Our conversation got cut a bit short due to scheduling, and trust me, there were many more hours in us to chat, but we decided to have another conversation, so look forward to that at a later date, but for now, I am just giddy to present Michaela Bohm. Right, yeah, let's right. start there. Let's start with how yeah. was the last year for you and, and what has like your whole like lead? I feel like some of us have been preparing for this moment our whole lives, like to, how to handle it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just go right for the jugular. Miguel. Yes, I don't know what to yes. Well, no, it's good because um, I think, you know, when you say some of us feel like we've been preparing our whole life for this moment, right? That's true for some people. And then, like you said, some people don't have the luxury to even take care of the basics. Right. Um, you know, there's, I know so many people are struggling so tremendously between, like you said, children um, or keeping the lights on or keeping their relationship going in, in, you know, it's fault lines. I always call it fault lines. I did it before the pandemic, right? It's like when when you get into a situation where the going gets tough, um, all your previous creases and fault lines, so to speak, erupt, right? Yeah. And then that means some people had real relational reckonings, positively and negatively. Mm -hmm. uh, I know about as many people who have separated or solidified their separations as I uh, know people who've really come together in beautiful ways or often even um, reconciled, right? So yeah. there, there's that. Um, and, um, you know, so as you were saying, some of us had the luxury of doing some inner work. Some of us uh, 
are just keeping their, you know, their, their nose above the, the waterline, barely, you know, if at all. And I have a few friends who have very small children who never uh, were socialized, yeah. right? Because they kind of were just about to be walking and crawling and, and connecting with other kids uh, as the pandemic started and haven't since. Yeah. which is a i think quite a an interesting thing to look at developmentally speaking so that yeah. that all said um for me the pandemic was an interesting situation because i was actually in europe when it became clear that things were uh going to you know get a bit interesting for a while and of course i thought oh well you know by June, I'll be back. By May, I'll be back in Australia. By June, I'll be back in Amsterdam. And of course, none of that happened. And so I had to make the rather difficult decision to um, uh, cancel an, a sold out and really, really big and uh, event that I really wanted to do all brand new stuff in London. And I had found this amazing space. And, you know, it was just something I really, really wanted to do. And it was kind of before it really kicked off. It was the, the, the weekend before that March 15th. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, clear. Yeah. And so um, there was a lot of opposition of people going, you know, you're overreacting and what's the problem? And, uh, you know, so that, that was a, it was it, my pandemic started with a huge upheaval, so to speak. And, um, and then I flew home. I was, well, I scheduled a flight home earlier than I should have. Uh, and then had a funny feeling the, the, day, uh, the day after I scheduled it and rescheduled to another day earlier, which was the luckiest thing ever because I landed in LA as they announced the travel ban. And so I made it through immigration fairly unscathed, meaning the lines were normal length lines. Right. It was very crazy and freaky. And some people were wearing masks and some people were not. And so in an odd way, for me, it was kind of a bit more of what happened when the fire happened, yeah. right? where I was in Europe and then catastrophe hit. And then I had to kind of fly home under duress and then land and deal with stuff. And so I had rehearsed for this uh, pretty much three years earlier. So I had a basic sense in my body about what needed to happen, um, how to deal with things, how to work on all the different aspects that we, that it required, because of course I had to self quarantine the moment I landed, mm. which meant uh, all my support system as far as uh, food, cleaning, animals all fell away at the same time as I was trying to figure out what to do professionally and, you know, so yeah. that all said, lengthy, lengthy story. I'm very happy to report that to me, the pandemic on one end was creatively incredibly fruitful. Yeah. And that my natural and trained resilience came in really, really handy. And I was able to pivot um, and pivot very fruitfully and creatively uh, but I think personally it's been very difficult because through a series of circumstances that I don't need to go into I actually have been on my own so completely by myself no one uh, intimately related to me or even 
friends or business partners in the same place as me. Yeah. So I haven't been touched in over a year. Um, oh, sister. <laughs> that that has been sorry to interrupt but i just like i just needed a breath with that because i don't think people understand i did a whole post about it about that necessity um yeah it's it's we take it for granted i think yes well i think there's lots of things we take for granted and um, like you were saying, as we started with leveling up or something like that, um, I think for me personally, for someone who is very, um, I'm very, very specific who I touch or, you know, I'm not a uh, very touchy-feely people right. person with people I don't know, right. like with people I know and with a select few, I'm very, and then very, and then of course, I have a whole set of preferences as far as my personal sexual intimacy and things and all of that went yeah right all of that went and so I've kind of taken that as a way of looking at well what actually happens when that happens and uh, there was a secondary consideration that I think is worth mentioning um like you said right it's such a big deal we're so used to being touched um you know even if it's just just a massage or um, chiropractic adjustments or, or things like that, all of which dropped off to begin with. Eventually, my chiropractor and a few other people and I formed a bubble, so to speak. Yeah. So, and, you know, the windows were open and all precautions were taken, but that was months later. And then she moved out of town. <laughs> but uh, for, for me personally, it was a bit of an... Um, I don't know how to say this without it sounding really horrible, but I got a sense of what it must be like when you get old. Yeah. Right? I got a really strong sense of what it would be like if you no longer have a partner because they died or whatever, right? And you are, um, and you are isolated and you have the fruits of your life around you if you're lucky right yeah. but you might not have i don't have children right so you, you and and your support isn't there and your friends aren't accessible which in my case all my partners friends um you know intimate relationship all of that was in other were stuck in other countries so the the question there was wow is this what it's going to be like when I'm old, whatever old means at that point. And is that the experience that a lot of people have where there's more isolation, less connection, less touch, less available stimulation and stuff like that. And that gave me some great pause as to um, how, well, how it must be for people and to also um, look at how I, in my work can extend Mm. something there um also experimenting with how that would be for myself what would be the meaning of my life if it's not the things that i take for granted yeah right is there meaning what would that mean how would i have to maintain mental health physical health stimulation um what would i not do you know so it's been a very fruitful time but not entirely pleasant (laughs) that's what i said it's not always easy but um, on the other side 
there's clarity. Um, for me, there's been a lot of freedom, um, strength in knowing what I want, you know, and you touched on so many things there, um, that, that are on my list of things. And, uh, I usually don't go down a list, but you did touch on something about your intuition and coming back. And that particular story that you tell in the book, by the way, it's like dog-eared and highlighted. And this is the second one. I know I, I gave it to somebody, my first one, and I can't remember who. And I'm like, well, it's theirs. I'm buying another one. Well, well worth it. So you got two out of me. Um, nice. Yeah. You know, a lot of people bought the book and then bought the audio book because I got to read my own book. Oh, good, good. I'm glad you read your own, especially with your voice and your, you're a teacher, you know, so that comes through yeah. that kind of um, cadence yeah. and wisdom. But you talk about in the book, the, the story of your friend in the desert. And one, that must have, that experience probably prepared you for any of this. Like, I can't even imagine that. And the intuition, right? And being in touch. I really want to kind of hone in on, on the importance of that as women. And I feel like we're losing touch. We're allowing all these outside sources, whether it be media or social media or whatever. And it's overriding our natural operating system. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you can go pretty far out with this, which is definitely one of my hobby horses, so to speak. <laughs> Not only hobby, because I, of course, also do this for a living. But yeah. um, one of the things that I'm very, very big on is to understand that when we talk about embodiment, right, which is a big term, of course, right? And everybody's now in embodiment and it's this thing. Well, what does that actually mean when you really, really boil it down to what it really means is that your body always sends signals, right? Always. Because long before we even had a properly functioning brain, so to speak, right? We had a body that kept us alive and evolving and procreating and eating and, you know, all of that. So we have very, very in-depth, strong bodily wisdom. And that bodily wisdom constantly sends messages. So that's embodiment is essentially that you're able to hear the messages of your body. Right? That's as simple as that. The more external noise there is, and I'll talk about the three aspects of what keeps us from he hearing right. the messages, right? The more external noise there, uh, noise there is, the less you hear the messages of your body. And so intuition is specifically the intuition we are talking about, which is kind of a felt gut sense, right? Mm -hmm. Some people talk about third eye intuition, right? That's a whole thing, particularly in certain yoga communities. That's more like a fine realm up there, not so connected with your body. And you see often people who are very into their third eye point and stuff like that. They're very, they're, they are very fine realm, somewhat disembodied often or very light in their energy because it's a different orientation or domain, right? And there's people who, when they meditate or, or do certain yoga, they go up, 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 and up right. and out. And it's and all not, about up here. And not grounded, right? not bringing that down into but the material. You know, it's a choice. It's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle choice, so to speak. I've, yes, correct. You just can't 
conflate one with the other, right? Right. So, but then there's people who go in and down, and when their body comes online, then it's a different kind of intuition. It's the intuition that makes you know that your child is in danger. Yeah. Or the intuition that makes you know that your partner is up to no good. (laughs) 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 Or, or, you know, or a connection with an animal, or a connection, in my case, with my my then friend and teaching partner right so that's part and parcel with embodiment embodiment and intuition being in the same realm right so there are three i well there's more but there's three i point out mostly when i'm teaching because it's good to know these things right um, so there's three barriers to being properly embodied and with that having proper intuition. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about intuition specifically, but one is stress and anxiety. So the more stress external as well as internal you have, and with that, of course, anxiety builds because anxiety is essentially a displaced or wrongly placed fight or flight response. Right. Um, you know, there is no bear chasing us. Right. We, we feel like a bear is chasing it's us. It's just traffic in the 405. <laughs> it's just traffic in the 405, which is like a bear. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, if you're not living in LA, you will not understand this. Uh, but, <laughs> but traffic on the 405 is an animal all by itself. Exactly. Right. So that that particular noise internally as well as externally massively suppresses um, our ability to listen, right? It's it's so much noise that you can't hear the soft voice of your body. Um, or, and, and only when the body gets very, very loud, either in an injury, a panic attack, um, you know, or, or an illness or things like that, then we go, oh, you know, in, when it's that extreme often. And of course, people who have high levels of noise need um, very extreme embodiment practices in their estimation, because it takes so much. So they have to do some crazy power yoga uh, thing where the body screams so loud, right, that they hear something. But of course, with the loud screaming, with the extreme this is the same as a very strong vibrator, for instance, right? Where you need like the jackhammer of vibrators because, <laughs> because I love it. It's there's so much happening that you don't have subtlety. Right? Yeah, sensitivity. And so that's that's one aspect, right? Then the second one is actual overwhelm or overstimulation, which social media, media, um, you know, actual noise. I was in Santa Monica the other day um, for the first time in the entire pandemic. I left the house. I had to go and do a shoot and I had to go to Santa Monica and the hotel they put me in was right between two hospitals. And it was, I I haven't heard a siren in over a year. Yeah. It was just like, oh, how do people sleep? How do people live? But I lived in West Hollywood for 15 years and I slept fine. You get used to, it's, it's your nervous system. I think I lived in New York city. So I mean, midtown and I, I, you realize it's like most people are under a level of low grade anxiety today. 
constantly the and they don't yes. realize it because they just think that's how it is yeah, you habituate and you kind of shut off and you get numb. But yeah. with that, you get numb to all messages of the body, yeah. including intuition. And then the third big barrier to embodiment is trauma, either fresh or previous. And when I'm saying trauma, I'm talking injury. So injury physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, um, I don't know, um, that's it. You covered it. You got it. <laughs> any form of injury, right? Yeah. Uh, from from very mild to severe, that causes a, a shutting down or regulating down or, or shutting off or having to leave the messages behind because it's not appropriate to feel that much and all of that. So those are kind of the three things. And these three things are also barriers to intuition. We'll talk about that real quick, going back to that leaving, because I think people don't really understand what trauma and, and we can, I, I think we can bring this into the past year that this has been a trauma for people, for almost everybody. Oh, for everybody. And, and what happens, you know, we talk about embodiment, but to me, the opposite of that is disassociation. Would that be a proper kind of yes. opposite antonym? We just kind of say... I can't, it's, it's survival mode, right? Right. So when you're talking well, about trauma? Dissociation can be from very, very mild. You're just a little bit altered to all the way psychotic, which would be complete break with reality, right? Mm -hmm. That's a long way to go. Yeah. But in that, you could definitely say that the opposite of embodiment, meaning is the pulling away from the messages of the body. As long as you have a body, the body sends messages, right? right? But you're not leaving your body permanently because then you'd be dead. Uh, you're just leaving the faculty of even knowing what your body says or wants or does. And of course, in a trauma situation, that is, I don't know how I would say that, that's hardwired as the appropriate thing to do. Right. Meaning in fight or flight, your personal comfort and what you want or need are can kill you in proper fight or flight, right. right? The whole idea in fight or flight is that you don't feel yourself so you can perform the superhuman feat of lifting uh, the, the car off your baby right. or kicking somebody harder than you've ever kicked somebody and running away or whatever, right? So the very essence of fight or flight and this is what people don't understand often is that that's actually a healthy, right, perfectly engineered situation that we forget is such because we want to, you know, um, always be perfectly regulated. You're not supposed to be perfectly regulated right. when you have to survive. Right. But driving on the four or five is, it's, well, it's, <laughs> I was going to say a matter of survival. However, it is. Can be. <laughs> can be. It can be. So, so you know, but but having an argument with a friend is not right. Right. So yes, dissociation is is the function of not being able to connect with the messages of the body, and that can have stress. Uh, it can be a stress response. Can also be, which is something that most people don't consider. It can also be. Uh, an inability to be with stronger emotions. Right. So it might not be traumatic. It might just be that your body 
isn't used to having strong sensations. And by the way, this is also very important because sometimes when people say they want a lot more pleasure than they have, the issue isn't that they can't have more pleasure. The issue is that they can't sustain that yeah. level of pleasure yeah. and they pop out of their body huh. exactly as if it was a negative thing because it's just too much pressure down a garden hose, so to speak. Still stimulation, just on not what we would assume, not fearful, but almost over, just overwhelm, right? The overwhelm. It's just too much, yeah. too much pleasure will shut you off exactly as too much pain. Yeah. And that's building capacity within your system allows you to have more of the negative, but it, you know, meaning you stay in your body, even if it's negative, uh, but you can also stay in your body when it's extremely pleasurable. And so coming back to the thing in the books, just to wrap this up, yeah. um, when my when I realized that my friend was missing, my friend and teaching partner, the way I found out he was missing was he didn't show up for a workshop. Yeah. Uh, and people were coming in the door and you know chairs are being set up and I'm having to juggle uh, where is he? And I knew something horrible must have happened because there was no, there was no way that if he could even drag himself anywhere, he would he not would let me there. know. Yeah. Right? So I knew it was really bad. I just didn't know was it bad as in he was injured and couldn't move or he was dead. Right. So I, you know, and you don't want to believe the worst, of course. Yeah. But I had to um, teach a class. Right. In the midst of trying to figure out what were next steps. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I'm laughing because, well, truth be told, I teach there'd be a break, I'd go in the green room, throw up in a bucket, uh, try and make some phone calls, go back out and teach. Right. So it was like that level of what just had happened, but I didn't know, was I overreacting? Was it as bad as I thought it was? If it was as bad as I, was, I thought it was, I certainly shouldn't be acting out of a place of that much adrenaline in my system and, you know, all of that. So when it came time to actually use my intuition, I had to use every ounce of every practice I've ever known or had to settle my system so I could actually feel it. Listen, yeah. Well, and that's, I'm gonna close this door real quick. Um, <coughs> well, that's good because I just had to cough. Yeah, so. perfect to see. <laughs> Divine planning. Divine, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're right here. Um, that is, I mean, what you just explained to me is the essence, and I know you don't use this word a lot because it's it's taken on new meaning, but I, I know that you are classically trained in Tantra. And for me, part of what Tantra has done for me is built my capacity to hold energy on either side of the spectrum on... Yes. You know, and like you just mentioned, how many people would have just totally said, workshops canceled, you know, you were able to hold a container of big energy and still deal. Um, yeah. And I think, I'm hoping, 
somewhat of that's what the pandemic did is at least that's what it did for me. Again, for, I had the space and the luxury to do that work. It, it built a bigger container, a stronger container for me to deal with the world and stay stable because no one's going to give you happiness. You can't rely on who the president is, what's happening outside of you. And if you could build those resources, so why don't we talk about some of those resources that you did? I, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal story about how did you get to that point where you were able to handle that situation? Yeah. And I also want to say to what you said with the pandemic, I think uh, this is this is the lesson in it, right? If you have the luxury of course, mm-hmm. even if you don't have the luxury, it, it can be a side effect. Is, right that uh, you realize that there is no one to rely on. And this is, by the way, true for the touch. And that's what I found um, very profound in the unpleasantness of not being in relationship the way I'm used to being in relationship. I had to really uh, develop a whole lot of muscle of not melting down around that, right? Yeah. And being able to supply myself or source myself um, completely free of external um you know input there and that's super important right i I think it's and it makes you um it makes you sovereign in a different way that's been my favorite word is sovereign and i think people are misinterpreting it as selfishness and you know oh the united states arrogance sovereign i go no, no no internal sovereignty to to not have to rely on anybody and then when you don't have to the joy of wanting to and coming together it's it it builds relationships not out of need or what i think would be classically termed in psychology codependency but out of true desire and love yeah and that i mean it's just a whole new way of being in the world i feel yeah i definitely agree and, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, that's a good lesson, right? Um, yeah. To, uh, and that is, by the way, why people go in caves and on special retreats and stuff like that, because those are the lessons you learn when you um, interrupt your habitual pattern. Yeah. Right. So, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you were asking me a different question, which was, how did I get there? Well, yeah. I think it's a combination of um, of factors, but certainly um, I had some experiences very, very early on of um, both uh, modeling of real resilience in my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very lucky in the sense that I have incredible parents. Uh, they're still alive and, you know, just incredible human beings. and. Both of my parents had some very um, specific traumatic situations uh, within their health. Uh, my mother lost an eye when she was 10 um, in, uh, in essentially, it's a long story, but there was a bully in school who lived above them in uh, oh where she lived. Um, and he, it was her birthday and her 10th birthday, I believe, 10th or 11th birthday. And he chased her home threatening her and she ran in and it was one of those glass doors you know those frosted glass doors yeah. uh this is the 50s right in, in jesus uh, 
uh, yeah, and she looked through the frosted glass, and he went through the glass with a with his hand, shattered the glass. The glass hit my mother's eye, and my mother was blinded on that eye under really horrific circumstances, and it couldn't be repaired. And she's still blind on the one eye. She didn't lose the eye, but it's completely cloudy. And what you know, so so I'm saying this to say my mother. Um, had to deal with that and then of course had to and then had some other very bad injury before she was even um of age and so um i think she, she had an incredible amount of resource and resilience to begin with yeah. and then my father had a near fatal accident when i was six and was in uh in a hospital for over six months with my sister being a baby and my parents were in the middle of building a house. My father was paralyzed. And so I grew up watching my father teaching himself how to walk again, which was, uh, you know, to a six-year-old, not that big of a deal. But looking back at it to see what that took and to see the determination and, uh, and the memory of us um, going to a hiking path on a Sunday morning and my dad pulling himself out of the car with crutches and then pulling himself up a steep Austrian mountain on crutches and feeling his frustration of it, you know, like, but also seeing his resilience um, really informed a part of me. And I can say that now that's hindsight. Of yeah, course, yeah. Right? And I think this is why I love you so is there's a grit to you and and I think it's why I resonate with some people that that are like that have have had real like that's trauma to the ninth degree you know and and witnessed either witnessed it or been a part of it and you look at the world now and you're like you're worried about what someone's calling you like <laughs> I don't know it, it's it, there's a yeah it, it's a different it's a different thing and it, it's certainly a different thing because you know there's whole theories around the fact that the people who went through world war ii and and the famines and this you know they're all dying out so to speak right and so the the knowledge of real suffering yeah and real perseverance and real resilience is being replaced by uh, a, a kind of a fake facsimile of uh, upset. And that's not to say that there isn't still horrible things happening. Right, and, right, 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 right. Um, inequities and inequalities yes. and all of that. But I think it's a very different story when you have crawled out of a bomb shelter, you know, and you see that what used to be your house is just flat rubble. Then um, when you feel that somebody's done you wrong in some, you know, I don't know, your green juice wasn't right or something. I mean, I'm being a bit silly here, but you know. No, but it's, but it's that level of, it's that level of, um, that example is, is the degree to which people have become sensitive and not sensitive in the way we were talking before as to right. their own inner feelings is like someone else's, um, a, you know, aggression against them or, you know, needing safe spaces and, and, and I feel like it's dividing us more, but anyways, um, yeah, that's a whole, that, that's a whole conversation that probably is a different conversation, yeah, yeah. but yeah. it definitely is to be said that, um, when we are not faced with 
the right kind of adversity, we have to somewhat create something mm. to push against so our system stays resilient, right? Oh, so there's reasons why we do certain things and they can get very aberrated when it's all about us and no longer about service or relationship or connection. And of course, we're living in a time where it's all about us in a very odd way, you know. But I think um, developing resilience and grit is important because inevitably in everyone's life, no one's exempt from that. Yeah. In whatever situation that can go from you having lost your job and lost your house and suddenly living in a car, right, to um, not having the right green juice, right? Like, I mean, there's, a, you know, but there, there, I mean, that's a silly example, but, you know, uh, living in relative wellness, but also being touch deprived or whatever. Right? There's, a, there's a vast yeah, span yeah. of bucking up and meeting the challenges with some grit and determination instead of hoping that somebody else will fix it for you right? you or blaming someone else. Because the thing that we must acknowledge, right, is that um, there's huge uh, suffering people have on a daily basis that we are not even fully aware of yeah. because we're not privy to them. You know, we live on the West Coast. Things are pretty open and uh, tolerant. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's a different situation than when you, let's say, live in the Appalachian region of yeah. the US where you are um, in any kind of, um, you know, where, where people don't have enough food to feed their kids on a regular basis and when yeah. the school stopped um you know providing school lunches the kids would go hungry i mean the, to me that's that's insanity to think that this is a country that is of course not where i grew up right that is so rich where people don't have what it takes to feed their little kids a lunch right so I think there's, and, and, and also a country, of course, where there is huge racial divide in all ways that to a European was a real, I had to really learn some things because I had no idea. Mm. I had no idea. Because when you're, when you're European, you know, you don't know about American history growing up, of course, or um, see the inner workings. So... I think there is some real hardship and some real, um, you know, some real rough stuff that we are not aware of where we sit, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that we have become more aware in this time of the pandemic. And, you know, and that's not even to talk about people who walk from Honduras to the border because that's preferable to right. their situations there, right? And uh, I mean, it, it is so mind-bogglingly brutal out there in the world, right? I mean, so brutal out there in the world when you start honing in on one thing at a time. And, you know, I'm not even talking about, you know, animal rights or, it, it, I mean, however you slice it, it's brutal out there. It's yeah. just that we, I think, as humans, have an ability 
and and there's a reason for that right in survival we have an ability to tune out anything that's not within our little you know in in our little surrounds so we can function so we are not constantly overwhelmed and traumatized yeah and um unable to perform our duties in the world right yeah and i i don't know i got to the point where it's i'm aware of all that's happening but if i allowed myself like you said to try to figure out how to solve it i can only change my circumstances i can right. only change my response to those things um and hopefully when i'm put in a position to help and given the ability then i will do that and given the opportunity and i think that's the real that that's the real crux when we come back to intuition and the body your best service to the world is that you are able to contribute versus take yeah right so that that's that to me when we boil it down whatever whatever special snowflake complaints people have uh you know you know what i mean with special snowflake complaints right oh my green shoes all the way to the most horrific set of circumstances right within that entire spectrum you can look at it are you contributing or are you taking are you sucking the air out of life itself right for yeah. your own personal gain or do you have enough wherewithal within yourself and resources that you're uh, that you're not taking that you're not consuming that you're not imposing that you're not um you know accidentally or willingly rob energy life force resources whatever yeah you know? yeah and so how you do that is you are self-sufficient in your body you have resilience you have capacity you get the best education you can have in the realm in which you are yeah right whatever that is in and also in within your realm of gifts and expertise yeah right because you're not useful in an area where you don't even where you have blind spots and where you don't know anything yeah um, so you have two options. You can either get an education in that area, or you can pool all your resources and put it somewhere where you can actually contribute. And how do you do it? Once again, your body is sane and sound. You allow yourself to feel what needs to be felt so you can actually not suck the life out of the conversation or the situation or the circumstance. And you can bring your depth and your experience and your resilience and your grit as a service. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the feminine and cause so much of this book is about the flow, finding flow again in a world that seems to be consumed by go, go, go. Yeah. Um, so, and, and what it means to be a, a feminist. I, I was crying last night reading this book because I feel like in order to shore up my resources, like we were saying, I've had to call on a lot of my masculine. I've had to call on a lot of that. And right now I'm like, ugh, I need some, I need some help. I need somebody else to take over the masculine so I can flow a little bit. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem with masculine and feminine, of course, in the bigger picture, 
is that people conflate masculine and feminine with men Maryland. and women. Yeah. And then that creates a gender war and uh and and also polarizes people in ways that they don't need to be polarized because then it becomes about sexual orientation or gender identity none of that is of course what we are talking about right, right? and that's why i often just call it go and flow nice. because we all have go and we all have flow right and the only the only time go and flow or masculine and feminine go being masculine uh, and flow being feminine right that's but it's an internal state and not men and women because every man has masculine and feminine every woman has masculine and feminine right but where it becomes really interesting is when we when we engage in a sexual dynamic or when we become imbalanced right and so what you're talking about is the imbalance aspect where our feminine um meaning the part of us that needs to play and rest and relax and you know have colors and textures and flavors and be in nature and be creative and have relationship all of those aspects of each human being are the more you know the, the the flow aspects are the more feminine aspects and the parts that buck up regardless of what's happening that have a plan that get stuff done that are on time that track grids and um, systems and uh, set you know things in motion that part of us has been so overtaxed both from a cultural viewpoint also from a pure survival viewpoint, right? Because when you are in a pandemic, um, your first and foremost uh, resource is your ability to be in go, be structured, to make things happen, to have a plan, to have toilet paper and rice <laughs> in ample, in ample, you know, uh, in ample um, quantities. People have definitely taken that to a new level, uh, right? <laughs> So, but that, that is the go aspect of all of us and our go aspect has been massively taxed. Now, why I wrote a whole book about uh, the feminine and flow is that for, for both men and women, we have a, an absence of flow in our life, right? We have an absence of uh, that open, sensual, sensual as in all five senses involved, enjoyment, open-ended connection, uh, nature, connection to our own cycles. In women, because from a, and when I'm saying women, I'm talking now first biologically, right? So endocrine system. And then of course, we can also talk about sexual orientation and identification, but that's a secondary thing from a uh, in endocrine system, if you have periods or ha used to have periods, uh, you know, you have uh, female hormones in the body, you have cycles happening, um, all of that, because even if you're menopausal, you still have cycles right. and, you know, all of those kind of things. When you have that kind of a system, your system's health relies on flow. And if you happen to be sexually oriented towards wanting to also be in the flow sexually versus in the go sexually, 
then it's particularly important that your body is able to be in the flow. So some people like to be the one leading a sexual occasion predominantly. We all like a little bit of <laughs> flipping, flipping the roles. Yes. Yeah. flip-flop right that's yeah. why every human should develop all capacities right but we typically have a preference we like to be taken on the ride or we like to be the ones taking somebody on that ride we like to be the one who leans back and kind of surrenders um exactly right and gets mine <laughs> sounds so nice i know right now doesn't it yes you know and then some people don't, don't like that they like to be the one being in control guiding the thing and whatever when you are sexually wanting to be the one being taken your body needs to be able to actually sustain that mm. and because we're human beings and are are governed by our habits and whatever we do the most builds the strongest pathways if you do 10, 12 hours of go, and then you want to flip into flow, you're going to have a really hard time. You won't have muscle for flow. And then you're going to attract people who would rather you stay and go, which then makes you not want to be with them because they're too flowy for you. And then if you happen to be a heterosexual woman, that means you're with a noodly, uh, flowy, glowy man, who can't get his shit together, right? Um, if you're not heterosexual, that means you might be um, wanting to surrender into the flow, but you're now with a partner who also wants to surrender into the flow, and it's really boring, and you no longer want to have sex. And you know, like there's all these horrible dynamics when your flow isn't fully, um, yeah. uh, I don't know, flowing. <laughs> flowing, developed, polished, yeah. played with. And so in women, it has also a health function to it, of course, mm -hmm. right? a reproductive health function. It has to do with how our hormones flow to the body. And so that's why I wrote a book specifically for women when, you know, who have to deal with both the endocrine as well as the sexual aspect and then, of course, there's also an identification aspect, yeah. which also falls into that category of being able to surrender and let go and go on the ride. And most of us want that, but don't have the tools for it or the muscle for it. Well, what, what would you say to the people? I mean, I'm hearing a lot now is that, oh, those are just traditional you're in a you're in a traditional model like where the feminine is one thing and the masculine and and how i think we understand that we're talking about energies here right like you said it's not male female but people have a hard time understanding like there's a biological thing going on as a woman that carries certain energies yes like that yes but that's why i don't call it masculine and feminine right yeah like just go with the nervous system has that right there's sympathetic and parasympathetic right right there's there's the endocrine system which yep. has certain uh, hormonal balances within both men and women right where you either more on the serotonin uh, or on the dopamine end of things dr mm. helen fisher does a lot of amazing uh work on that and this is true for men and women and you have estrogen uh testosterone uh traits that are in the brain that don't even have to do with gender by the way right? mm. so if you don't if you're not familiar with her work she's one of my 
heroes. I'll put her in the notes for sure, and I'll I'll look into it. Um, You know, so there's endocrine balances that that have nothing to do with how you identify or what you want to do in your life. And I think the really important piece is has nothing to do with being traditional. It has to do with being a full human being Mm -hmm. and being able to be who you want to be. If you want to sexually surrender, which a lot of people do, men and women alike, you need to have the muscle to sexually surrender. If you're going all day and kicking ass and taking names later, you don't have the muscle to sexually surrender, right? Yeah. For instance. So this has nothing to do with becoming a 50s housewife. I certainly am not a 50s housewife under any circumstances. (laughs) Um, but I do sexually and as well in my spare time for myself be able to enter the realms of ritual, of myth, of play, of flow, of surrender, of sexual letting go, of getting out of my head. And then in my life, I want to be able to kick ass with the best of them and uh, and be successful and do the things I want to do. And for both of those things to be fully activated i need to be able to switch back and forth Mm -hmm. and the only reason we talk about women who want to engage in that kind of play um engaging in a certain set of practices is because in our regular life we're so much in go all of us yeah so if we would be living in a commune in the woods flowing all day um with our animals and partners and lovers and herbs and music right (laughs) sounds lovely Um, sounds amazing right (laughs) and then we have to go work we probably would have to i would have to write an entire book on how to get into right right sustainably get into go right right Right. and uh but we do go all day and then we want to flow and then we don't know how and then that causes relational issues and so on and so on yeah, and I know you have to go, but that's your work, right? That's what this work is about. That the, is what this is all about. And I, we didn't even get to the tips. They're all in the book um, about the dancing, what you feel, moving yeah. how you feel. I did that before our conversation today okay. because I realized how much I'm missing. Do we need to something. pick it up at some other points? Do you need some? You know, I'll just... I. I I'll start with this and I would love to have you back because there's so much of that I want to talk to you. I know, I feel... I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michaela as much as I did. I cannot wait to have her back on the show. Be sure to check out her book, The Wild Woman's Way, as well as all her workshops and teachings. All links are in the show notes below. In the meantime, listen to the previous two episodes with Dr. Tommy John and Zephyr Wildman. They're both wonderful. And get ready for the next episode when I shift gears a bit. I'll be talking to one of my best friends since the fourth grade, Doug Sunheim, an executive coach and author of the book entitled Taking Smart Risks. Doug is one of those rare individuals that can bring more of that flow essence Michaela and I discussed to the go of the corporate world, making companies and their leaders more compassionate and, well, just more human. It's a wonderful connection of two seemingly disparate communities, the spiritual and business. I can't wait to share it with you. Until then, stay connected.